Good morning, City Light Lincoln. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Wow, we're working with some interesting things being outside. But, man, why we're here today, right? We're here to celebrate. This is a big day. We're celebrating new life. And now, I'm not talking about babies. We're not talking about newborn babies being born. We're actually talking about individuals who have passed from death to life, right? Like, that's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here today is to to have a huge celebration because God is writing new stories, and he's interwoven his story with other people's stories. So that's that's why we're celebrating today. Now, one thing I want to talk about, though, is that most biographies end in the person's death, right? So, so basically the story ends when the guy dies. Their legacy might live on, but that guy's story has ended. But we get to praise God, and it's fitting today that Jesus' biography doesn't end in chapter 19 with his death, right? Like his biography actually continues on into chapter 20. So praise Jesus, right? Praise God that chapter 20 exists. And so I'd like to invite you now to open your Bibles to chapter 20 um, in the, the book of John as we celebrate uh, this historical moment. Now, but first, I want to ask a question. Have you ever had something in your life that you knew was going to take place, however, you still weren't, like, that confident in it? You were still fairly insecure that it was actually going to happen? Like, I I did that just a couple years ago. I finished up my master's degree, and so what I had done, I had sat down, I had my last exam, three long years of education, and I'm sitting down, finished up the exam, hit submit. Later on that week... I get the, the email back saying, hey, you got an A, and I'm like, yay, and then there's this little insecurity in my heart that like, wait a minute, what if the check bounced that we just sent in, or, or what if that wasn't enough GPA or good grades for me to actually get my diploma, and so for months, actually, it took a while, it took about six months, I kind of had this paranoia and even a little bit of PTSD, if you've been a student recently, you know what I mean, Sunday night comes, you have this urge that like something's due that day or that evening at midnight, and you're like, did I get it done? But you have no homework. You haven't had homework for weeks, but yet you still have that temptation. I had that for months. And then one day, what took place was that diploma came in. My, my certificate saying that I took a bunch of classes, read some books, and it came in the mail. I held it in my hands, and I said, okay, now I know that I have this. And in a similar fashion, that's actually what the resurrection's about. It confirms that Jesus' accomplishment on the cross was full payment and it was received, just like I had received my uh, master's degree in paper form. So, my first point this morning is that um, as we walk through the narrative on on the first Sunday, we want to answer the questions of, what is the resurrection? So, because once, most of us in the room would probably, or I guess it's not a room, but the area would say yes and amen. The, the resurrection is important. Yes, let's do that. But can I ask a question though? Do you know why? Like, do we know why the resurrection is so important? Do we know why we should be excited about it? Or is it just another religious like banter that we talk about? Or is it something that's actually a joyful spirited thing in our hearts? And so I want to answer some of those questions and work through even what are the implications of the resurrection. And so, again, the first point is death couldn't hold Jesus. The payment was received. So let's read John chapter 20, verse 1 through 10. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, All right, let's point out one thing real quick. Who wrote this book? God wrote the book. Who wrote the book of John, though? 
John wrote the book of John, and he just wanted to point out to everybody in the world, I am Jesus' favorite, right? He said, the one beloved by God. So we actually make fun of Austin for that point. He's kind of the golden boy, and he's the one whom Jesus loved, and uh, that kind of thing. And most of you who know him can see why. He always gets everything he wants. Anyway, and so John continues and said to them, they have taken the Lord of the, uh, out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Again, John's like, yes, I'm that dude. I outran Peter. Just to put that in history so everybody knows Peter got outran by John. Thank you, John. It's in Holy Writ, so it's spiritual, right? Uh, Anyway, so both of them ran to the tomb, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, just to clarify, um, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they had not understood the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciple went back to their homes." There is no other accomplishment known to man that has had the impact of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, his resurrection is still impacting today. Now, 2,000 years later, people's lives are, are being changed, they're being transformed, and they're being welcomed into eternal life because of the resurrection of Jesus. So it's fitting that we would today be talking about the resurrection and its significance. Uh, This is a historical event that shook the world. It shook all over to the point where it took cowards who were cowards and turned them into warriors. It took the proud and made them humble. It took the ungodly and made them godly people. 1 Corinthians 16, 4 through 6 says it this way, that he was buried, that he was raised, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. You see, Paul pointed out that this is a historical event. It actually did happen. And, and, and what he does very smartly, very wise, he points out, hey, Peter, Cephas saw it, then the other disciples, and then more than 500 other people who are still alive, mind you, at the time, they saw this happen, and so you can count on it. It really did happen. Jesus did raise from the grave. There's nothing more powerful than the resurrection of Jesus. And so last week we heard from Austin that Jesus died on the cross for sins, that his, his life took on our guilt for our sin, and, and, and that he died and paid the debt for that, right? And, and, and we proclaimed that work, right? We're like, yes, yes and amen. He died for our sins, but some of us look at that and say, that's the gospel, that's the end, I'm going to take my salvation, I'm going to walk away, right? But here's what Paul says about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he says, And if Christ has not raised, been raised... Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He's saying the resurrection is a big deal. It is the big deal. It is the fact that God came in and by the resurrection says, I'm validating the payment for your sins. So you see, without the resurrection, Jesus' payment on the cross would have been void. The check was written, the the balance was full, but it would not have been received without the resurrection. Yes, when he said it was finished, his work was done. He, He finished it, he completed it, he did pay for it, but... It wasn't cashed yet. The check was received, but it wasn't cashed yet. The funds were good, but it hadn't been cleared. And so Jesus raising from the dead was that, in effect, God saying, yes, that payment was sufficient. 
that payment was enough to give you new life. And in fact, it was saying that not only that, but Jesus is who he says he is, and he did exactly what he said he would do, that he would rise again. It was a part of the plan from the beginning. There was no penalty for sin anymore. There was no payment to be made. There was no guilt, no shame left over after the blood of Jesus was shed. In the resurrection, God the Father communicating, hey, the check didn't bounce. I took that check. The cross of Jesus saying, is saying this, it is finished, and then God responds with the resurrection and says, it is finished indeed. Amen? Amen. And then when we look at chapter 20 again, and we look at verse 9, there's something that happens here. So verse 9, first, uh, verse 9, it says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. He must rise from the dead. John, Peter didn't realize that he had to rise from the dead, and some of us today don't realize that Jesus actually had to rise from the dead. Jesus would really die, and he really would raise. Death couldn't hold him down. The resurrection of Jesus was a tangible proof that Jesus really did accomplish what he said he would do. He also, it also is tangible proof that he was, in fact, God in flesh. He's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He's the savior of us all. He did defeat Satan's sin and death on the cross. And so my first point is that death could not hold him down. The payment was received. My second point this morning is that death couldn't hold Jesus. The life has been given. And so we'll look at verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Because of the resurrection, we've been given new life and a new identity and a new family to belong to. Jesus calls Mary by name, which is an indication of chapter 10 in the book of John, when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Here's what he says to her, says about it. He says, the sheep, him being the good shepherd, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I just want to tell you, Mary is one of Jesus' sheep. So when she heard him calling her name, she heard him. She's like, that is my shepherd. I know who he is. And some of us in the room in the area today are sitting here, and you've, you've been hearing small voices of Jesus in your life, and you've just been ignoring it. Or maybe you've been hearing him pulling on your heart this morning since you walked up. I want to say, man, that's Jesus. That's your good shepherd calling your heart right now and saying, hey, will you receive me? Will you take me in? Will you receive my payment, my payment for your sin on the cross, but also receive the fact that I've raised from the dead so that you can have new life? And I want to call you today. I want, to, I want to press in and say, will you give your life to him? If you're that person this morning, will you accept Jesus' payment for your sin? Will you trust in the fact that he really did raise from the grave and that payment was received by God? 
He's inviting you to know him, not just a a, a mental affirmation of information about what he's done and, and who he is. But no, he wants to know you intimately and personally. He wants to be not only your God, but also your personal savior as well. And so he's inviting you to be a part of his family. If you do there, if you do that, there's a promise that's in our passage right here, verse 17. Here's what it says. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Do you see it? If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, yes, you get to be in heaven forever. That's a good thing. But there's another but. You actually get God. You get God, the creator of heaven and earth, to be your father, to be a part of his family. That's what he's talking about here, that we get to be intimate with God, that we get to have a personal relationship with you. He's taking rebellious folks, the orphan, and and taking these sinful human beings and saying, hey, I want you to be a part of my family. He can be our father. So through the cross, we are justified. And and what I mean by justified, our, our, our guilt, our sin is done away with. However, the resurrection means that we're sealed with new life. It's a promise of new life, a life that is being the adopted child of the living God. And so if we're adopted into God's family, we've been set free. We're free to obey God and what he calls us to do because we know that he wouldn't call us to do something that would harm us, that he would actually call us into things that are good for us because he loves us so deeply. This is the significance of this especially for those of us who have daddy issues, which is probably everybody, right? On some level, because all of a sudden God gives us a new perspective of a father. If we're adopted, what what he's saying is, I no longer have to live for my father's approval because I've been approved by my heavenly father, amen? I, I no longer have to look toward and wonder whether or not my father loves me because the heavenly father loves me so deeply, Our Father in heaven is so passionately in love with us. He loved us while we were still sinners that he would even send his son to die for us. My dad hasn't always been present with me, but when I found out that the Heavenly Father is always and ever, forever present with me, it changed the game for me. It changed everything for me. No longer do I have to impress God or make him love me, but he already passionately loved me and accepts me. He's not going to leave me, and so I can actually enjoy life in, this, in the fullness of his presence. There is no one like our God. We have people this morning who have made a decision to trust Jesus for salvation, to put their faith in him. And, and when they go to get baptized in these tanks over here, they will be following obedience to what Scripture has to say. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 16. Jesus says, believe and be baptized. This is a simple act of obedience. Baptism does not save you. It does not put you in right standing with God. What it simply does, it expresses an outward expression of what has happened internally in these people's hearts. These people today are proclaiming that, hey, I have passed from spiritual life to spiritual death, or spiritual death to spiritual life. And when they go under the water, what that signifies, I want to explain this, what that signifies is that they've been buried with Christ. Now imagine this if we held them under the water and didn't bring them back up right? That's not a good thing. You guys wouldn't be happy. We would not be cheering if we held them under the water for too much longer. So the good news of the gospel doesn't just end in being buried with the death. It actually finds its conclusion in being raised to newness of life, being resurrected into new life. And so we must be raised with Christ. That has to take place. There's, there's nothing special about the water. This doesn't make them better people or new people. 
all it is is a symbol of what Jesus has already done in their hearts. Baptism isn't for good people, as was said with earlier. It's, it's for bad people who have said, hey, I need a Savior, and that Savior is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so can I give you some pastoral advice while we're sitting here? Now, we're about good news, but here's what's about to take place. There's about to be one of the most important, significant moments in people's life and their, their act of obedience and the fact that they've been saved. So here, here's the proper response to that. We're going to be people that rejoice, right? Like, we're going to clap. We're going to get excited. We're going to be pumped because this is not just a religious ceremony. This is a celebration for a family, and we, we're doing it in public. We're proclaiming that, yes, Jesus is Lord. Yes, he is king. He did, in fact, die, but he also raised. Amen? That's what this morning's about. That's what we're going to do. And, and before I, when I step down, they're going to have a few of us are going to come up and actually share their testimony. Basically, they're going to share the story of how Jesus came into their life. So what their life was like beforehand, when he came in, and what he's done afterwards. So we can celebrate the fact that death couldn't hold Jesus and that he's given new life through his resurrection. Amen? Let's pray.